0: Uh, We're in Luke again this morning, chapter 1, and we're dropping in at verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It seems to me that the traditional themes of Advent are all jumbled. Now, when we talk about Advent, we're talking about a period of roughly four weeks of preparation for Christmas. Jesus is coming. Let's prepare ourselves. And early on, uh, you'll like the fact that... uh, We're Protestants, and we've dropped this. Uh, Early on, the first part of Advent was spent in fasting and vigils. Um, I mean, December for us means fudge and uh, and cookies and treats from the neighbors and and office parties and all kinds of eating things, feasting, not fasting. Um, But then the other weeks were more joyful uh, as we look forward to when Jesus first came into our world and looking ahead to when he returns to our world. So Advent is this very important time of the year. But traditionally, the themes of Advent have been hope, the first Sunday, faith, the second, joy, the third, and peace, the fourth. And that doesn't make sense to me at all. Uh, So if I had lived in the fourth century, and anyone had asked me what I thought, uh, you know, if anyone listened to me at all, um, I would have suggested that we put faith before the other three themes, um, because faith is what enables us to hope. I don't see hope coming first and then faith. Faith is there, and then we hope. And uh, then after hope, there would be peace, we we now have um, a confidence about the future we, we feel comfortable with it and that's when I think joy is possible uh, the way we, we can't the joy comes out of peace first I'm at rest and then I start finding the positive in the world in my life and in others uh, there's one other Advent theme and that's saved for Christmas Eve and that theme is love and of course it's it's perfect, and uh, they, they got that one right somehow. So um, we're, we're following the tradition, so today we're going to talk about the arrival of Jesus into our world as a gift of peace, God's gift of peace. The angel, before arriving at Mary's home, had a previous stop to make. It was in the temple, and... Uh, Zechariah was already an old priest by this time. Luke tells us that he and his wife had no children, which which doesn't mean as much to us as it would to the original audience. Uh, Having children was evidence of God's blessing on your life, and it brought honor to a family to have children. To not be able to have children brought shame. So... Shame and honor had to do with social capital. Uh, the more honor a family had, the more places it had access to, uh, the more influence it had in a community. Uh, when a family was shamed, they were shunned. So families worked hard at building their reserves of honor and avoiding shame. But there there was shame on them. Uh, now, he's... Uh, he is one of hundreds of priests who would serve in the temple. And what they did is they created various divisions of priests. And then at certain times, each division would go into the temple. Once a division was chosen, they would have a lottery and draw names to see which one would go on at any particular time to serve in the holy place you and I would not be able to go into the holy place. Only the priests could go there. Very sacred precincts of the temple. So Zechariah's name got chosen for this privilege. There were so many priests. This is very rare. I mean, even though they, they would light the incense every morning and evening, one of 800 priests, it'd be rare that you'd have that opportunity. This may be the only time in his life he's ever been in there. But he, he knows what to do. Um, lighting incense was symbolic of Israel's prayers. So while he went into the holy place, there were people assembled in the outer court waiting for him to come out. And they're praying outside while he is offering their prayer symbolically as incense that wafted up to heaven. I think that Zechariah must be really aware of being in the presence of God. Every object around him is holy. It's, it's a dark room. It's illuminated only by candlelight. And as he, as he moves around, it's not going to be like you know a, a priest who performs mass every single day of the week and everything is memorized. He's going to be thinking about what he's touching and the fire that he lights and the incense as it burns. He's going to be very conscious. It, it, it has to be special. I'm, I'm thinking it has to be special. Now, this is how I read the story. All right, I have a vivid imagination. Go with me if you want. You know, stay home if you want. Doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, so he's in this holy place, and in his peripheral vision, he glim- catches a glimpse of someone there. If you ever want a good scare, I mean, this is better than a haunted house. Walk through an empty church at night with no lights on. It is so scary, (laughs) because you know someone's there and you can't see him. Um, No one's supposed to be in the holy place except Zechariah. So he turns and looks, and it's an angel. Now, I don't know if the angel looked like a human, if he was about to say, what are you doing in here? Or if it's just obvious, but immediately he's terrified. So the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been answered. Isn't that interesting? The people are, are praying. The angel says, your prayer has been answered. What prayer was that? Well, maybe he was still praying for a child. I mean, even though he and his wife were old, maybe that was still what he had been asking for his whole married life. Now, I'm not going to go into the rest of the story except this. Um, Because he misbehaved with the angel, he he was unable to speak. So when he went out of the temple, all the people were waiting for their blessing, and he could not give it. Now, if he could have given it, he probably would have blessed them with this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. He would have blessed them with peace in the name of the Lord. But being unable to speak, all he could do was was hand motions and and, um, two syllables, (laughs) sounds like, and they figured out what it was he was trying to communicate. That was before the angel came to Mary's home. Sometime after the angel visited Mary, he had another stop to make. And that was to Joseph. I see Joseph coming home from work. When we read that he was a carpenter, that, that probably means he was a mason. If you've been to Israel, hardly anything's built with wood. Everything's stone, because they have more rocks in Israel than any place in the world. So um, he comes home. And his mother is waiting for him at the gate. Now, maybe he's already hungry, and he can smell the bread that's been baking in the oven. But um, she has a worried look on, uh, on her face. And he approaches her and says, mother, And she takes him by the arm. She leads him around to the side of the house where no one can hear. And uh, he says, Mother, what is it? And she looks at him intensely in the eyes. And she says, Mary. And now she can't find the words. How is she going to tell this to her son? How is she going to explain this? And she finally gets it out. And he understands that she's saying, Mary is pregnant. And Joseph immediately, why, that, that's impossible. We haven't even, and she says, I know, I know. I know you're not the father. Now he has to deal with this. Now, we can romanticize Joseph's relationship to Mary. And that would just mean we're North Americans in the 21st century. We know nothing about what was going on then. Their marriage had been arranged. Um, someone's breaking into my car. Oh, oh, they've got it. They can have it. Um, <laughs> insurance is going to get me a Tesla. Um, this marriage has been arranged. They they probably know each other. Um, In the most advantageous cases, you're marrying a cousin. The reason is because uh, the families now are already close. When the woman's family was not related by any stretch to the husband's family, the woman left her family. She, She was gone. And she never quite became a part of the husband's family, unless she had a son. When she gave birth to a son, she she had quasi-acceptance. But she was never fully a part of the family. But the son became, to the mom, her source of honor. And she really was invested in her son's life. He's going to be a doctor. (laughs) Because that was how she derived her sense of identity And and honor in an honor-shame culture. So here's Mary pregnant. Joseph um, has to deal with this. I don't think necessarily that he's brokenhearted, you know, that, oh, the love of my life. Because she's not the love of his life. This was a legally binding agreement between two families. Typically, it was the moms who got together to choose the, um, the spouses for their children, but then the dad would have to ratify their choices. Very patriarchal, very much a hierarchy. And uh, so this was all legal. And Joseph says, well, OK, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm going to divorce her. This, this is what you do. You see, to be betrothed in that time, it's not like an engagement two young lovers it's a contract between families and it's like you're married already so if a woman uh, according to Deuteronomy is with another man during the time of her betrothal the the answer is divorce we just don't go into that marriage that's not going to be good right so Joseph is saying we're going to I'm going to have to divorce her it just seems the only thing he can do, but still he has, you know, mixed feelings about this. He's conflicted, and he and because he's a good man, he's going to do it quietly and discreetly, so that she's not shamed and her family doesn't suffer for it. Because if she were shamed, it reflects on the whole family. But in any matter, there's there's no individualism in the first century Mediterranean world. It's all Family and culture, um, that's, that's the, the single unit on which society is built, not the individual, the family. And if one person goes down in shame, the whole family is affected. If one person rises in honor, the whole family is lifted. So he's going to be nice about this. He's going to be a good person, a righteous man. So as he's thinking these things over, He has a dream, and the angel of the Lord came to him in his dream and said to him, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. And that's what he did. The angel had one more Christmas errand, and uh, this was our study last week, uh, when the angel appeared to the shepherds who were watching their sheep by night. And this came after the birth of Jesus. Um, The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and they were greatly afraid. So the angel said, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. So here we have four stories and one message. I mean, there are different messages to each person, but it's, it's the same message, basically, but it begins each time with fear not or do not fear or do not be afraid. In uh, the case of Zechariah and the shepherds, I think it was these otherworldly creatures that had triggered fear for them. With Mary, though, it's different. With Mary and and Joseph, um, they have different triggers. She's greatly troubled. By the angels' greeting, what what does this mean? Highly favored. With uh, Joseph, in his case, his fear was the, sp- the the prospect of going forward with the marriage or divorce, and he's told not to be afraid of taking Mary as his wife and taking responsibility for the whole mess and for the rest of his life providing for her and raising this child. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Go ahead and go into it. So the idea I'm chasing here is that in each instance, the fear was triggered and then it was addressed and then calmed. In calming their fear, the theme of peace is implied. Go from this fearful state to this peaceful state. (sighs) All right, so when I sit in meditation or or quiet contemplative prayer, sometimes I'm agitated. You know, um, I can wake up in the middle of the night and a person's name will just come to me or a person's face. And immediately, I'm agitated. I know I'm not going to fall back to sleep. I'm going to ruminate. And it happened so quickly that I generally don't have time to catch myself before I'm plotting my revenge. And so, um, sorry, you know. But um, the other night, uh, I woke up, middle of the night, person's name came to me. actually three or four names came to me, different situations, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm awake until next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> I took a deep breath, and as I inhaled, I said, Lord Jesus, and as I exhaled, I said, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, I don't think I did it more than a couple of times. I don't remember doing it more than a couple of times. And I slept peacefully the rest of the night. Sometimes when I sit in silent prayer and I'm feeling agitated or I really don't have time for this today, I'll I'll, I'll address my body first from the head down to my feet, mostly the external arms, legs, out to my fingertips, out to the tips of my toes. And then I go neural. Prefrontal cortex, focus attention on Jesus. Amygdalae, that's plural for amygdala. Amygdalae, peace out, chill. There, there's no problem. You're telling me there's a problem. There's no problem. Brainstem. Parasympathetic mode. Switch it on now. And I tell. Then I go into my uh, peripheral nervous system. You know, down my spinal cord, out to my various organs. Lungs breathe slowly. Heart uh, breathe uh, beat slowly. Calm down. When we're triggered, it's not just something that goes off in our head. It goes off in our whole body. How does your body move? When you're upset about something, how does that affect the way you walk? When you're going into their bedroom for the last time to tell them to keep it down and keep the lights off and go to sleep. Uh, Or when that other person cuts in front of you and you have to slam on your brakes to avoid hitting them. I did that to someone the other day. I feel really bad about it. Um, I was in a hurry. It, it's, it, it's the whole system. So do not be afraid. It's spoken to the whole body. Can you hear, hear it inside? It's not just saying, think a different thought. That usually doesn't help, by the way. Um, it's your mind. It's your whole body. OK, why did I say th- thinking another thought doesn't work? Because thinking tends to be the problem. So you're going to pour gas on the fire by, by thinking. And I'm going to think a happy thought when the momentum of my habitual automatic thinking is so great because it's built up over the years, it's just going to roll right over that happy thought and squish it. All right. So <laughs> yes. <laughs> That will happen to you too. Um, <laughs> so, what do I do? What do we do? We come into this present moment. How does it feel? And we we have our body tell us. How does this present moment feel? And if if it's something in the body says, worked up, problem. Say, okay, what is it? Let's let's see what it is. Tell me. Talk to me. Right. Until it begins to get. But we come to this moment, and the experience of this moment registers in the part of our, the cortex of our brain that's responsible for feeling sensations in the body, both those of the five senses, but also the interior. You know, my stomach's tight in knots, or my chest feels constricted, my throat feels tight, my shoulders are tense, whatever it is our bodies want to tell us. That gets calmed, mind gets calmed, right? The agitation goes down, peace, peace. One of the statements that was made to Mary by the angel is a partial quote. Um, And we read the full quote the first Sunday of Advent. It was from the prophet Isaiah. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So here's this promise that comes with Jesus, this this promise of peace. Peace would have been Zechariah's blessing The people, Lord, lift up his countenance upon thee and give you peace. It would have been his blessing if he could talk when he came out of the temple. But he was unable to speak. In the announcement to the shepherds, the angels say, because now there's a whole choir of them. And I, I think no matter how you try to picture that, it's going to be silly looking, it's going to be Monty Python. But there's a whole choir of angels, and they're singing, or saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I think we need to understand something here. Um, Some people take this as a message of universal peace, that Jesus has come, the Messiah has come, and there will be peace among the nations. Now, that's true because when Jesus returns, it's for that very reason, to bring God's kingdom to earth and God's will to earth. And and the, the human will is finally going to be in full surrender to the perfect, loving, kind, generous will of our Father in heaven. But what the angels are saying is to individuals, Jesus has come. And for those who receive him, there's peace. Jesus is heaven's gift of peace. It's it's the promise to everyone who receives him. I've mentioned Stephen Porges before. He is a professor of psychiatry at North Carolina University. He's a science researcher. And he's focused his research on the vagus nerve. The vagus nerve exits um, the brain stem, it originates there and exits into the cortex and to various other it connects with various other nerves like uh, the facial nerve for facial expression. Uh, the trigeminal nerve. And it also connects to the heart, the lungs, and gets information from the major organs in the body. It's a very busy nerve. Um, It has um, 80 connections below the neck, and another 20, 80% of its connections are below the neck, another 20% above, and it communicates messages both ways. In other words, sensations go to the brain, motor impulses go down to the muscles of the body. So that's why he calls it the polyvagal system, the polyvagal, because it has many applications. Um, it plays a role in the activation and deactivation of the autonomic nervous system, which you're familiar with, the fight or flight uh, versus the rest mode. Uh, the vagus nerve uh, is especially significant in the parasympathetic, the, the rest time, return to homeostasis. Um, OK, so, so this nerve prepares the body for action or prepares the body for a restful state and, and recuperative state Uh, It does other things, um, also. But um, he says that that it also aids in our social interactions. He says that our brains have been made, uh, and not just ours, but all mammals, brains have been made in such a way that we help to regulate each other. And there have been some wonderful nature videos on Facebook, of course, because um, who has time for National Geographic? But um, nature videos of one animal consoling and comforting another. And they do this. And dolphins do this. And, and humans do this, unless they're really twisted because of some unhappy childhood. But um, the vagus nerve is very active in what he calls the social engagement system. And when the vagus nerve is well-toned, we do well in interacting with, with other members of our species. He says that the body and brain function best when we feel safe. When we don't feel safe, then our body and brain are activated. And the parts of our brain that are activated are those that involve fight or flight. And we're not doing our best thinking because the, the neurons in the prefrontal cortex, the, the thinking, judging, planning, the rational part of the brain, is th- those neurons are dampened, while the other ones are excited, activated. Porges says, if our nervous system de- detects safety, then it's no longer defensive. It doesn't have to protect itself. When it's no longer defensive, then the functions of the nervous system support health, growth, and restoration. So the calming voice of the angel, do not be afraid. was really important to deactivate the shepherds, Joseph, Zechariah, Mary, so that they could hear the message that was being spoken to them, so that they could listen with their best mind, so that they could be in the most productive place to hear and to receive. They needed to know the peace that was being given to them. And they need to to have a sense of it just to understand what's going on. Porges says that we are socially better adjusted And that certain parts of our brain become accessible that are not accessible when we're activated. Parts of our brain for feeling pleasure, being creative and very positive. Horges points out that safety, do I feel safe right now? Safety is not defined by the absence of danger or risk. Danger and risk may be present. But that doesn't define safety. Safety is defined by feeling safe, OK? Look, there's a lion. Yes, but between us and the lion are the bars of its cage. I feel safe this far away. If I get in my car, I'm going to lock the doors, put my seatbelt on. I know there are airbags. I feel safe enough to get into this death machine. Right. if I 'm going to bungee jump or parachute or zip line or rock climb, the harness is going to make me feel safe it 's securely attached somewhere right so there's danger. there can be danger present, there can be risk present. but if I feel safe, I can be at peace and my body can be at peace i 'm going to do better thinking, uh, better social engagement and so on, perhaps. The best way to understand this promise of peace is with the Hebrew word shalom. And shalom means so much more than than the absence of of trouble. Um, It's a state of complete well-being. Klaus Westermann, a German theologian of the last generation, um, did a lot of research in the blessing that the priest would give to the people, that the father would give to the sons, and so on. And, he, and the blessing that would be in the normal greeting between people. And he says, it's not like today, where we have these, these formal and consistent greetings. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, how are you? That really don't mean anything at all. He says, people really thought about their greetings. He says, that's why in scripture, in, in the Old Testament especially, there's all kinds of different greetings, all ty- types of different ways that people will greet each other when they see each other. And uh, he says, this was thought out. And when the story is narrated, the narrator's thinking about these greetings and the importance of them. Shalom was uh, a greeting. Uh, because it's a way of blessing another person. So sometimes, shalom is the greeting. Or the question is, how is your shalom? And it's not just saying, how is your peace? It's saying a whole lot more. How are, How's the, the totality of your life? And shalom is a quiet, secure, physically healthy, productive, good uh, relationships life. Last week, when joy was our subject, I quoted Jesus saying, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be full. The joy of Jesus in me. He made a similar statement regarding peace. I have said these things to you, that in me, you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Oh, so in the world, there's danger. Take heart, you're safe have overcome the world. We'll get through that. We'll get past that. He also said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. I love that line. Not as the world. My peace I give to you not as the world gives to you how does the world give to us well it gives us peace on certain conditions it gives us peace and then takes it away it 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 gives us a pseudo peace or a platitude peace without any substance and jesus says i am giving you what i have as god among you i give you my peace i give you my joy And here's here's what I believe we have to understand. The Christmas promise is that we are going to find peace in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not easy for us, okay? I'll just say that. I have a friend who, well, I have a couple of friends who really struggle with just the thought of being in the presence of Jesus. And they have all these rational questions, and I can't answer even one of them. When Nicodemus asks Jesus how, Jesus, with a metaphor, tells him, essentially, you can't know how. There's no how. I mean, you, there's not something that you can do to make this happen. It's a work of God by his spirit. There is no how. But the rational mind says, well, how? How am I going to find peace in Jesus? Our minds are materialistically conditioned. They're rationally conditioned uh, here in in the philosophical West. How can Jesus become real enough to us for us to rest in him? How? (laughs) You can't say, I can't tell you how. That's what makes it so difficult. Sometimes I wish that God would ask for something else besides trust. <laughs> trust me. God is, do I have any options here? <laughs> well, we can, it, it will help if we get to know Jesus in scripture. You see, I grew up with, with this. So I think I've got an advantage here. Um, but I don't think that I'm unique or the, your disadvantage. I know Jesus as a lovely person, as warm and caring. I think sometimes we misunderstand what we read in the Gospels, but he's always, always kind and accepting to the child, to the sinner, to the person on the margin. And and if you associate with with that at all, with the broken, then he's kind to you. He's always expressive of this. So as we come to know know him through scripture then we converse with him in prayer and then we spend time with him in silence just allowing our bodies to adjust to him to to feel his peace to feel and en- enveloped by him in the New Testament, we hear Paul say repeatedly, in Christ, or in Christ Jesus. If anyone is in Christ, that person's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things become new. We are in Christ. So with relaxed, deep breaths, we learn what that feels like to be in Christ. And whatever I feel is not what you have to feel. You'll feel whatever you're supposed to feel. But when you get to recognize the feeling of this warm, loving, beautiful person, then you'll learn to rest there. And the stronger the feeling will be when you go to that place with him. It's a muscle. Exercise it, it grows stronger. we can hear him say, don't be afraid, it is I. And quiet our soul with that, trust him, and rest. So no matter what our circumstances throw at us, if we can find our way back to Jesus, we return to peace. Now, I say that knowing that some horrendous things can come down the pipeline. But he is always safe. He's always loving. He's always a calming presence. And if we can get back into his presence in Christ, we'll know peace. All right, one last thought about the angel and his announcements to to the individuals. Each time he appeared to a person, he spoke that person's name. Joseph, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Zechariah, do not be afraid, Mary. Each time he spoke their name, as soon as he spoke, they discovered they were known. They were not anonymous digits lost in the mass of humanity. They were known. God knew them by name. And he had a message for each one of them. And he knows Each one of us, he knows you by name. And he has a message for you. And we can be like the psalmist who said, let me hear what God the Lord will speak. For he will speak peace to his people, his saints. Would you stand with me, please? Just before... I bless you and let you go. I want to remind you, if you want to receive uh, for your tax records the total amount of your donations for this past year by way of email, leave your name and email address on this sheet in front, and we'll get it to you by email. Otherwise, we'll send it to whatever address is on your uh, check. That was difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah, that word. Okay. I love you. Merry Christmas. May the Lord bless us, keep away all evil, lead us into eternal life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.